Uh, I want to take some time this morning to to speak to you uh, in this series, We Build People. This is our fifth week in this series. Have you ever built a sandcastle before? Anybody ever gone to the beach, done that? I was thinking this week about our first experience as a family going to the beach. I mean, obviously, I've gone a number of times, but uh, with our girls, Day and I uh, went to the beach several years ago, and Macy, our middle daughter, was only about a year and a half old. And so we were telling her what to expect, and, you know, she saw pictures and we were saying how exciting it's going to be and you're going to get to splash in the waves and we're going to build sand castles and she loved that idea. And so we went to the store and we bought the little, uh, you know, the plastic shovel and the pail and the, the buckets and the whole deal and we're excited and we get there and it's going to be great. They've got their new bathing suits on, they're lubed up with sunblock and we get out there and we get ready to build our sand castle and that's the first moment, we hadn't thought about it, but it's this reality check for little Macy that in that moment she realizes to build a sand castle, I'm going to have to get my hands dirty. And it was game over right then. She was like crying and just, "Ah, I don't want to do this. And to be honest, we should have known that that was going to be the case because we'd had a similar experience a few months earlier at her first birthday. And like most parents, you know, we got cake for everybody coming to the party. But then we have that special cake, the first birthday cake. And we set it down in front of her. We put her in the high chair. We put the bib on, the whole deal. Everybody's got their phones and their cameras out. We're ready for that moment that you and I know that it's going to be hilarious because she's just going to dig into this thing. And she reaches out and she touches it and she realizes this is messy. In fact, I got a picture of, of Macy. Yeah, this she didn't want anything to do with the mess in that moment. You can tell she's so cute. She got her looks from me. Now, I say that because her mom still has hers. I'm like, But she didn't want anything to do with the mess. And it's funny, you know, when you think about those stories and the fact that she wanted nothing to do with the mess, we shouldn't have been surprised when we got to the beach that she would want nothing to do with the mess. I want to just start this message in the very beginning of the Bible. Don't worry, we're not going to finish it. But in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible talks about the creation account. It talks about the way that God uh, began all things. And there's this phrase that gets repeated over and over in Scripture, and it's this, and God said. So if you've ever read Genesis 1, you've, you've seen the repetitive nature of it. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate the waters. And God said, let the land produce vegetation. And God said, let the water team with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth. On and on. And God said, let there be living creatures that God just created it all with the power of his word. He spoke it into existence until, until he got to the place where he wanted to create people. Then it involved his hands. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, When the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. I just want to say here by way of introduction this morning that building people requires getting your hands dirty. It's no different for us 
than it was for God in the beginning. Now, We Build People is more than just a title for a series. It's really a, a purpose statement for the church. It's what we're called to do. It's, it's who we're called to be, to build up the body of Christ, to build the lives of other people. And if we're going to take part in fulfilling that purpose, it's going to get a little messy sometimes, to be quite honest with you. If we're going to be intentional about building people, sometimes you're going to have to get your hands dirty. And what I mean by it getting a little messy is I mean that you have to actually get involved in the lives of other people. I'm talking about interpersonal relationships. I'm talking about connection on a deeper level. I'm even talking about knowing people and walking with people sometimes to the point of frustration but if you're going to build people it requires that we get our hands dirty and my hope this morning is that I'm a little bit better at convincing you than I was at convincing my daughter on her first birthday because the Bible says taste and see that the Lord is good And that's what God wants for us, not just to come and be inspired by a message or to to be stirred by, by singing, but that you would experience the full benefit and blessing of being a part of God's family. And sometimes that means you've got to sink your fingers into the cake. So this morning, I want to challenge you in this area of building the church. And I will say this about Macy since I'm talking about her today. She did get over that. And, and she, thankfully, as she's a little young lady, she will wait for a fork, but it's not necessary. And she has become our sandcastle building queen now. While the other girls play and bury each other up to their neck in sand and, and boogie board, she will spend hours building sandcastles. In fact, this was last summer here. She's, she's just a, a little... Uh, she's a little sculptor there making beautiful sandcastles. So I want to take a few moments this morning... And and I want to tell you what some of the blessings are. Now, we don't have time to cover all of them. There's no way I could cover all the blessings of building people. But I want to just give you five of them, and we're going to share in experiencing a sixth. And if you're a a note taker, and I would encourage you to be a note taker, on the back of the bulletin is a space where you can jot down some things that the Lord is going to speak over the next few moments. And I want to give you six blessings of building people. People And I'm using the word people uh, as an acronym, the, the six letters of people to give you these six points. And the first one is this. It's having a place. A place. Having a relationship with Jesus is not just about believing. It's also about belonging. It's about knowing that you have a place in the family of God. When you begin to invest your life, in a church community, you, you discover that God has more blessings. I love the testimony that, that we saw in the intro package there of uh, Heather's testimony of coming in and feeling a part of a family, having that connection. That's what God's desire is for us, to give us a place. Last week, we looked at Psalm 124. And, and the psalmist said, had, if it had not been for the Lord, if the Lord had not been on our side, He said, let the people of Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side. And in that moment, he was saying this, everyone needs to acknowledge this reality. We're all in the same boat, and it's called grace. It's grace that saved us. It's grace that redeemed us. And if the Lord had not been on on our side, where would we be? 
I want to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't matter how dark your past is or where you came from. If, if you were saved, if you were redeemed, if God purchased you, he also puts you in a family and you have a place here. And as a believer, I can't waste any time scoffing at the dirt on some other man's shoes when I recognize that I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. If the Lord had not been on my side, where would I be? Where would you be? And so we recognize that when God saved us, he put us in a family. So that means there's, there's no place here in the body of Christ for a, a, a spiritual elitism or, or a hierarchy that says, I'm, uh, I'm more spiritual than you are, or that I, I know God better than you, or that God loves me more than he loves you. In fact, here's what the Bible tells us to do. I, I love this verse in Romans chapter 15. Verse 7 says this, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Now, here's, I want you to just look at that verse for a minute because the, the thing is, sometimes our religious mindset, well, okay, I won't say ours because it's not here. Some churches somewhere probably deal with this. But it's a religious mindset that says if we get a whole bunch of folks in here that, that don't act how we act and don't come from where we came from and don't do things the way we do, them, they're going to mess up, mess up the, the holiness of, of the atmosphere in the room. They're going to mess up our worship. But this verse actually tells us the very opposite. This verse says that accepting one another brings praise to God. Do you see that? Accept one another in order to bring praise to God. Now, you might be here today and you say, well, you know what, I do attend church regularly. But I just don't feel like I have a place. I, I don't feel like I, I fit in. Now, listen, there's no perfect churches. And, and I recognize that we, we do it wrong sometimes. And, and we'll make plenty of mistakes. But let me just turn it around and ask you to ask yourself a question for a moment. Have you gotten your hands dirty? And what I mean by that is, if you feel like you don't fit in, if you feel like you don't have a place, the question is, have you actually gotten your hands dirty? Have you moved beyond the, the sanitary, sanctuary experience of the church? The safety of the Sunday morning pew, of being able to come in and have music and a message and I'm out. The sanitary, sanctuary experience is great. But you have not yet tasted the goodness of God in the life of the church. It happens when we're willing to get involved with building people. When we say, I have a place and you have a place. That's when we begin to recognize and experience the rich sweetness of Christian fellowship. And here's the, here's the thing, the richer blessing comes, not just when you recognize I have a place in God's family, but when you begin to make a place in your family for God's family. When you open up your heart and you open up your life beyond the Sunday experience, to do life together, to journey together, when you give the church a place in your life, it becomes a sweeter experience. Let me give you the second one. The E stands for encouragement. There's a scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul the Apostle says this. He says, Therefore, 
Encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Can I just tell you this morning that a word or an act of encouragement can be all the difference in a person's life. It can make all the difference as to whether they're going to fizzle out in fruitlessness or if they're going to push on in faithfulness towards God. Chris said it earlier as he was talking about just an expression of encouragement, just putting an arm around somebody, just patting them on the back, telling them you're glad to see them, just loving on somebody. You know, when I think about encouragement in the Bible, the man that comes to my mind is John Mark in the New Testament. Here was a young man who had a heart for God. He wanted to be used in the ministry. In fact, he was an ambitious young man, so ambitious that he thought he could keep up with the, the most aggressive missionary in church history. He thought he could keep up with the Apostle Paul. And so when Paul said he was going on a missionary journey, this young man, John Mark, said, I want to go. Sign me up. I'm doing the trip. And he went along with them. But unfortunately, he wasn't prepared for what he faced. Now, we don't have the details. We don't know what happened. But at some point on the journey, John Mark, he left the Apostle Paul. He quit. He went back home. And that could have been the end of his story. That could have been all there, there was to say about John Mark. We would have said, well, there's a young man in the church that one time he, he thought he had a call of God on his life. He tried to be used by God, but it didn't work out. And now he just sits there on the church pew week in and week out. That could have been the end of his story. But thankfully, there was a man named Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement. And Barnabas saw something in John Mark, even though he had quit, even though he had left them high and dry on the mission field. And an opportunity came up down the road for another missionary journey. And Barnabas said, we ought to take John Mark with us. But the Apostle Paul said, absolutely not. In fact, I want to read it to you. It's in, a in Acts chapter 15. Look at it with me on the screen. It says, Barnabas wanted to take John, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and he had not continued with them in the work. And then it says this, the next verse says, they Speaking of Paul and Barnabas, these two mature believers, they had a sharp disagreement, so sharp that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and he sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and he left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. So here's the reality. This young man, John Mark, had quit. He had given up. He fell short. And Paul the Apostle wanted nothing to do with him. He said, you had your chance. I'm not taking him again. I don't have time for that. We've got things to do. We can't wait for John Mark. But Barnabas, an encourager, said, you know what? I'll take John Mark and I'll go a different direction. And because he was willing to walk at a slower pace, because he was willing to walk with someone that was prone to fall, not only did John Mark have a second opportunity to be used by God, but at the very end of the Apostle Paul's ministry, at the very end when he was all alone in a jail cell, he was writing a letter to his protege in the ministry. He was writing to Timothy. And here's the words that he said. He said, Timothy... Only Luke is with me. Get Mark 
and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in the ministry. This young man that was once uh, just cast off and he didn't have time for him, now he says, you know what? He's useful for the ministry. Why? Because somebody in the church understood the power of encouragement. That young man is the same Mark that gave us the gospel of Mark in the New Testament. And yet, he could have missed his moment. He could have missed his opportunity to be used by God. Can I just tell you that the church needs people that have the spirit of encouragement. Did you know that's a gift? It's a spiritual gift in the church to encourage. There's people that would never want to do what I'm doing right now on a Sunday morning. And yet because of their gifting as encouragers, I am here doing what I'm doing this morning. And you may be here today and, and you don't know where your gifting is in the church. Maybe you have no desire to do any of the things you've seen done up front from the platform. And you don't want to run sound or, or be an usher. And you definitely don't want to be in the nursery. And so you don't know what there is for you. But your encouragement could be the difference in somebody's life. Who knows what they might do? Who knows who they might become for the glory of God? When I look at the life of Mark, I see a perfect illustration of the impact an encourager can have to say the right thing at the right time to someone who needs to hear it. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the days approaching. Now, that's, that's a verse that's been quoted a lot. Honestly, I heard that verse quoted a lot uh, growing up in the church. We always had it quoted in the King James Version. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And all that just meant was, you should have been at church last Sunday. And we expect you to come back for the Sunday night service. And you need to be in the midweek service. And we expect you at the early morning prayer meeting. Because we are not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And we want you at all five nights of revival. No excuses. Because we are not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Now listen, I want you in church every time the doors are open. But that verse means a lot more than just church attendance. When Paul was talking about us building one another and encouraging one another, he said this, look at verse 24 again. He said, let us not consider how, or let us consider how we may spur one another on. That word spur in the original language, to spur each other on, means to agitate, to provoke, and to push. Can I just tell you that being inspired from a platform is totally different than being spurred in a relationship. Encouragement happens best face to face, not when you're staring at the back of someone's head. So to spur one another on means to be in relationship with each other. I'm talking about building people this morning and what that looks like in the local church. Encouragement for one another happens in a relational context. The Bible says in Proverbs, he who walks with the wise will become wise. And it says, 
a companion of fools suffers harm. Walking with the wise. That just means doing life together, sharing with each other. You know, as I read that scripture this week, I, I couldn't help but think about uh, the testimony that we received last Sunday from Steve Malis. He, he shared with us and that, that he walked in relationship with Earl and Danielle for eight years. That's a lot of walking. And he said there was a moment in his life where it was just the right time and God was tugging at his heart. That's what God's calling us to do, to walk, to spur one another on. Now, let me give you another way, another blessing of building people. And, and I just want to tell you before we get to this one, this is where it can get messy. If it hasn't for you already, this is where it can get messy. The O in people stands for openness. Openness. That's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. To have accountability in your life. Let me share a scripture with you out of James chapter 5. James said this in chapter 5 and verse 19 and 20. He said, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. He's talking about the church holding one another accountable. But James makes a huge assumption in writing this. If any one of you should save a brother from falling into sin, the assumption is this. He assumes that you know about your brother's sin. He assumes that we have a relationship together. And to be quite honest, it's a rational assumption in church history. For the first 1,900 years, it made sense to think that the church is going to know when a brother or a sister is stumbling in sin. But today, openness and accountability is something that we have to strive for. It's something that we have to be intentional about because it's too easy to be a chameleon. Because some of us, we're going to leave here today and we're going to get in our cars and we're going to drive 20 minutes away to our house where we live our lives and where we do our shopping and where our kids go to school. And you're going to get up tomorrow and you're going to drive another 20 minutes in the other direction to where you work. And we'll spend all week in different zip codes until next Sunday when we walk through the doors and sit in the sanctuary together again. So for the first 1,900 years of church history, I mean, you know, we didn't have cars. And so you went to the church in your neighborhood. You shopped at the store in your neighborhood. Your kids went to the school in your neighborhood. But now it's different. We have to be intentional about accountability. We have to be intentional about openness with one another. Or we'll stay in the sanitized sanctuary relationship mode to where I don't know what's going on in your life. You locked your problems in the car before you came in here and they're waiting for you when you get out. But we just smile and say, God bless you. Good to see you. And we go on our way. But if we're going to build people, there has to be openness. There has to be accountability. There has to be relationship. There has to be that brother or that sister in Christ that can look you in the eyes, that, that can talk to you about the things that you're facing, the struggles that you're having, the sins that you're committing. They can hold you accountable. And can I just tell you, we need that. We need that accountability. We need to, to have people that, that know us 
personally, that know what we're going through, that know what's happening in our day-to-day lives. Accountability breeds strength. But anonymity breeds sin. And much of the problem that's going on in the lives of the people of God is that they're living their Christian life anonymous. Nobody knows what's going on in their life. Nobody knows if you pray, read the word. Nobody knows what what you're putting in your heart. Nobody knows where you're spending your time, your resources. Anonymity breeds sin. The Bible says this in John chapter 3, verse 19. It says, this is the verdict. This is the final word, John says. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Sin grows in the dark, in the secrecy of our lives, in the anonymity where you can smile and see somebody down the road from you week in and week out and assume everything is okay and then one day they're gone. They're not here anymore. What's, what's going on in their life? What, what happened to them? They remained anonymous. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, you are children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So listen, when we avail ourselves to the beautiful mess of Christian community, when we make ourselves vulnerable enough to let other people in our story, to let other people see uh, that the, the Instagram version of us is not the real us, The filtered, beautiful, happy us is not the 24-7 us. That we have have junk in our closet too. When we allow people into the mess and we're committed to openness, all of a sudden we begin to see the beauty of the body of Christ. We begin to see what God wants to do in our lives on a deeper level. I just tell you this morning that temptation is strongest when secrecy is the greatest. It's so easy to fall into sin today because in our culture we've created so many ways to do it in secret. But it's the greatest. Sin is the greatest when secrecy is the strongest. You know, the the Bible talks to us about breaking free from sin. The Catholic Church says you ought to confess your sins to a priest. Confess your sins to somebody else and and you'll be absolved of your sins. The Protestant Church says just confess your sins to God. I mean, we quote scriptures like 1 John 1, 9. If we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, And that's true. But the Bible actually says do both. Listen to this verse. The Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person, it says, is powerful and effective. Can I tell you that the the power of breaking free from sin is oftentimes directly connected to your confession, not to God, but to your confession to others. Last week, as we read Psalm 124, verse 7, it's my favorite verse in in all of Psalm 124, and it says, we have escaped 
like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. That's what God wants to do. He wants us to escape the fowler's snare. But can I tell you this morning that oftentimes the snare is only broken when we're open with another brother or sister in Christ. You can be forgiven of your sin and still live in bondage. You can be forgiven with God and still live in condemnation, still live in guilt. But something powerful happens when you go to a brother and sister in Christ, when you are open and honest and you hold yourself accountable to them. It's like you've walked in to the dark areas of your heart where the enemy is trafficking. You flip the lights on. And you, you expose the works of the enemy. It's like you've pulled back the curtain on Oz. And you said, I see what you're up to. I see the game you're playing in my life. And I'm not going to allow you to traffic in the secrecy and in the darkness and in the anonymity of my heart. I'm going to be accountable. I'm going to be open. I'm telling you, what happens is all of a sudden there's strength. There's strength that comes when we're open. And that leads to the, the P in building people. And that's power. There's something that happens in the, in the body of Christ when we're authentic and when we share with one another, we love one another. The Bible says this in Matthew. It says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with them. I am right there. This is Jesus speaking. He said, I am there. If two or more gather in my name, you don't have to wait for Sunday. You don't have to wait for the worship team or the congregation. You need one man, one woman in your life. You need somebody that you can partner up with and pray with and come in agreement with. And in those moments when we do that, all of a sudden we're infused with strength and power. I love this scripture in Ecclesiastes. We often read it at weddings, but I want to read it today in the context of covenant relationship with the body of Christ. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls, one can help the other. But pity the man, pity the one who falls and who has no one to help them up. Now listen to verse 12. It says, though one man be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Can I just tell you this morning that in the same way that anonymity breeds sin, isolation breeds vulnerability. I'm going to say that again. Isolation breeds vulnerability. The enemy wants to come in and and wreak havoc on our lives. That's not a threat. It's a guarantee. Jesus said this is who he is. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's never changed. And he wants to isolate you from the family of God. He wants to isolate you from the strength and the power that you have in agreement with the body of Christ. It's not coincidental that when people begin to struggle in in an area of their life, one of the first thoughts, one of the first temptations of the enemy, and we often hear people uh, respond to that temptation by saying, well, I just can't come to church right now. I've got too much going on. I've got too many things I need to work out. The enemy's already working in their situation. What's he doing? He's pushing them away. He's putting condemnation on them. They don't feel like they can come. They don't feel like they can gather. They don't feel like they can pick up someone and reach out for help. What's he doing? He's isolating. 
he's isolating. But when we, when we say, you know what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build people. I'm going to be committed to the body of Christ. I, I, I believe I have a place. And that other people have a place. And I'm going to be an encourager to other people. And I'm going to be open. And I'm going to be honest with other people. All of a sudden, instead of isolation, what we have is insulation. God begins to protect our hearts. God begins to protect us from the fiery darts of the enemy. When a brother or a sister in Christ come around you and surround you and hold you up, you're insulated from the enemy's schemes. There's power when we choose to build people. When the church is no longer just a place that we go, and it becomes the people that we are, all of a sudden we tap into a deeper level of blessing. That's what, I, that's what I want for you today. I want you to begin to taste and see the goodness of God. I want you to get your hands dirty in church life. And I don't mean that in a, in a negative way, but you understand what I'm saying, that that. that it's, it's easier, honestly. It's easier, it's safer to just walk in, to be a chameleon, to hear music and a message, and to walk back out. Doing life together is tough. Being vulnerable enough to, to share your experience with other people, that's tough sometimes. And to be quite honest, as, as people, we get it wrong sometimes. Sometimes we are critical. Sometimes we do say the wrong thing. And if you've ever had that experience, you recoil and you say, forget it. I'm not doing that again. I'm not showing my cards. You know, you ever been in one of those prayer circles where you like offer up some big, deep prayer? You know, you're the first one to go. And you like, you know, you, you say some, you know, I need God to help me because, man, I've just, I've been, I've been really tempted to just, you know, uh, st- steal money from the workplace. You know, you say something, you know, that, that you, and then the next person's like, well, I just, I would ask that you pray God bless my kids. And, you know, they leave you out there all on your own. You're like, feeling like the only person that has any real issues. It's messy. Sometimes it's complicated, but there's so much blessing. It's, there's so much blessing in saying, you know what? I want to be a part of building people because I need that in my own life. And when we do that, we start experiencing blessing after blessing. Let me give you one more blessing. The L stands for lifting. There's something that happens. Lifting. There's something that takes place. I mean, have you ever spent time in, in, in a group of other believers and maybe you weren't even having church, you weren't doing a Bible study, you were just with them. You were just hanging out together. But you all shared a common faith. There, there was... You just left feeling lighter. Now, I don't have to ask because I know we've all experienced the opposite. You know, you get around some people and you just, oh my gosh, just their presence just like saps your joy, you know. But there's something powerful that happens when we get among the body of Christ that we, we feel lighter. We feel encouraged. I hope today you feel a little lighter when you leave than you did when you came. Because the Bible says part of what we're to do as the body of Christ in Galatians, it says that we are to bear one another's burdens. We're to encourage one another. Galatians 6, 2 says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ by carrying each other's burdens. You're fulfilling God's command on your own life. I want you to know this morning that 
look, I mean, look at this verse. God's plan for the church is not just that we come and we sing together. That's great, but God's plan is not just that we come and sing together. God's plan is also that we come and sorrow together. That we rejoice with those who are rejoicing, but we also feel sorrow with those who are sorrowful. That we walk through the, the mountain peaks and the valleys together. That we bear one another's burdens. It's, it's the heavy burdens. It's the moments in your life where you feel like, you know what, I just, I just don't have the strength to do this. I'm going to have to ride the coattails of your praise this morning. I mean, me getting here was faith. Is all the faith I had. I'm here. I showed up. That's all I had in me. I ain't got a song. I ain't got a praise. I'm just going to stand here and white knuckle this pew. I'm glad I'm here. Glad you're happy. Glad you're happy. I'm just going to listen to you praise for a while. And all of a sudden, the burden starts to lift. As if in the spirit realm, the people around you are lifting you. You go, I'm not really participating, but I feel better. Hadn't said amen once today, but I think this is right. I think this is right. What's happening in that moment? There's a lifting that's taking place. There's power when we come together as the people of God. The worldly perspective says the very opposite. The worldly perspective says if you want to get somewhere, you've got to climb over people. You might even have to step on a few folks to get there. The Bible says the very opposite of that is true. The Bible says that you're lifted higher when you humble yourself towards God. Let me share a scripture out of 1 Peter with you about humbling ourselves. Not just to God, but to one another. 1 Peter chapter 5. He writes in verse 5, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but He shows favor to the humble. Verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. The Bible says we're to clothe ourselves with humility. That's, that's our responsibility. To not look down our noses on other people, but to clothe ourselves with humility. To submit ourselves to spiritual authority and to one another. To consider others better than ourselves. David said, you know, something powerful happens when we get in that atmosphere. David said, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. He said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of God. Yeah, going to God's house is special, but he was saying it's special when we go together. The gladness didn't just come from being in God's presence. He said, I was glad when they said to me. David spent a lot of time by himself writing worship songs out on the back country, but he said, I was glad when they said to me, when they included me and said, let us go to the house of God. There's something that God does when we come together with the family. We're lifted. We're encouraged. I told you I was going to give you five blessings of being a builder in the body of Christ. And the sixth one we'd experience together. And so the E at the end of people the final E stands for Eucharist. The Eucharist. And it simply means the table of the Lord. I felt like an appropriate way to end this service today would be for us to do something that is a practice of Christian community. Jesus 
instituted two ordinances for the church. The first was water baptism. We celebrated it last Sunday. Which, by the way, if you weren't here last Sunday, or if you want to share those powerful testimonies with somebody else, they're all posted on the church website. And man, what a great way to testify to people about what God's doing. Just to go on the website and share those incredible testimonies with your friends and family. Jesus ordained that for the church. He said, this is what you should do. Because that water baptism is that initial response of obedience. But there was a second ordinance that he gave. And it was for communion. He said that we should come together as the body of Christ. That we should gather around the table. That we should break the bread and we should drink the juice together. And that when we do that, we do that to remember and honor what Christ has done for us. Because he said the bread, it represents my body. And, and the juice, it represents my blood, which was shed for you. So when we go to the table of the Lord, we're celebrating our salvation. We're celebrating what we believe in. But it's not just that. We're also celebrating what we belong to. That we don't come to the table alone. But that God put us in a family. That God called us to encourage one another in this moment. And while we have communion here in a Sunday setting, it feels a little bit formal and there's not a lot of conversation and we do it quickly and it's over, but it's symbolic of something. And what I wanted to signify for you today, more than just the work that Christ did for us at Calvary, I wanted to symbolize for you today the importance of coming around the table with the family of God. Of saying, you know what? Sometimes life can be messy and it's complicated and truthfully it's easier to just leave our problems in the parking lot and to come and get our Sunday sermon and go home. But the reality is God put me in a family. God's called me to build people. And though sometimes that can get messy, it's worth it. It's worth it. And as we come to the table this morning and as we break the bread, I want you to ask God to speak to your heart about your intentionality in your relationship with the church. I want you to allow God to speak to you about, about making a place for others, not just on the pew, but in your heart, of understanding that the, the time before a service and after a service, the, the meet and greet time, is, as much as we love to see friends and acquaintances, it's about more than that. It's about making a place for somebody else to feel they belong here. I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you about encouragement and letting Him use you in that way to speak into the life of somebody else. To find the John Marks in the church that God has great destiny on, but they need you to be a Barnabas, to lift them, to encourage them. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you today in the area of openness. And yes, this part gets tough. But some of you, you, you come and you ask God for forgiveness and you never, you never have experienced having the fowler snare broken off of your life. And I just believe that for some people here today, you're going to discover that brokenness is connected to openness. When I become transparent enough, when I lay down 
the religious facade and I say to a brother or to a sister, I need, I need help. I've confessed to God. He's forgiven me, but can I confess something to you? Can I share an area of weakness in my life? Because I want the Holy Spirit to, to turn the lights on in the secret places where the enemy has wreaked havoc in my heart. And I want to be transparent. I want to be open. And maybe for you, the response today is before you leave this place, before this day comes to an end, that you talk to somebody. Because to come to the altar to get right with God is great, but, but the response for you is to say, I need a brother, I need a sister, I need somebody in the trenches with me. I need somebody that's going to call me next week and ask me how I'm doing in that area of my life. I want to invite the ushers to come and just begin to pass out the bread and the juice. And I want to invite you to take these elements and just hold on to them. In just a moment, we're going to pray and we're going to receive them together. But as you take these elements in your hand and you pray about making a place in your heart for the family of God, about being an encourager, about being open, I'm believing that today you're going to experience the power of God and the lifting of your heavy heart.